Well, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning through a message I'm calling Dekaio Ek Pistis. You say, oh my goodness. Hey, Mark, you're talking Greek to me. Yes, I am, actually. <laughs> that is Greek, actually. It literally means justified by faith. Over the last few months, we've been walking down this road in Romans because there's so much wonderful, so many wonderful truths found in Romans that just sets you free. It establishes who you really are in Christ. And so when the enemy comes knocking on your door, you don't fall for these little scams and tricks. He doesn't have anything new. When you understand who you are in Christ, when you get that truth down deep in your heart, I want to tell you something, he won't be able to push you around. That declaration comes out of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, as well as many other places. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we have peace with God. One thing I love about God's peace, it's, it's not temporary. It's not hit and miss. It's not up one day and down the next. His peace is consistent. God is a very consistent God, and His peace is not based upon my performance. One thing I've come to know over the years is that peace is with me at all times. Peace is a person, and His name is Jesus. He's called the Prince of Peace. Amen? It's a lasting peace with God. The guarantee of our eternal salvation is tucked away in that verse I just quoted. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and that word justified literally means declared righteous declared innocent, declared righteous. God's wrath has been fully satisfied. He has poured out His wrath upon His Son Jesus, and there's no more wrath to pour out. It's been fully satisfied. I had a couple of phone calls this week that could be a little disturbing, but I've had so many of these over the years, I know how to handle them now. See, this is what I'm getting at. When you don't understand who you are in Christ, James talks about that wave like on the ocean or upon the sea that's tossed to and fro. And if you're caught in it, you'll just go wherever the wave wants to go. You'll just kind of go with it. I'm not like that anymore. The wave doesn't push me around. I had a phone call this week from a, a person who's known the Lord for 30 years. I could hear the distress in her voice. She has this feeling that because she got caught up in something, that God forsook her. And I said, no. We had this conversation a number of times. I said, no, that's not true. Well, I've talked to a couple of pastors, and those pastors told me, I'm going to hell. I said, don't ever talk to those pastors ever again. Amen. They're wrong. Amen. They're misguiding you. I can prove it in the Word of God. That is not true. And that's what we do. We stand in Triumph of Grace Ministries, and we tell you what's right with you, not what's wrong with you. Listen, we talk about this unpardonable sin. First of all, number one, believers cannot commit the unpardonable sin. <laughs> they can't do it. The unpardonable sin is for unbelievers because what it means, it's, it's called blasphemy. And blasphemy just means you've rejected Christ. It doesn't mean you've sinned because you've been in Christ. People sin. I understand that. Shouldn't. It messes your life up. But I understand you get caught in weak points in your life. But blasphemy can only be committed by an unbeliever. And that is a person who literally rejects Jesus over and over and over, the Savior of the world, when He's calling for them. And they get to the end of their life and they keep saying, no thank you. No thank you. Have I seen that happen? Absolutely. And I've told people, you're within seconds of meeting Christ. You're within seconds of meeting God. And you can meet Him as a, a wonderful, loving Father. Or you can meet Him as a judge. The choice is yours. He loves you. Had someone else call me this week that said, I'm really concerned about my brother who recently died. And I said, why is that? Because he happens to be my brother too. 
<laughs> Why is that? Why are you concerned about that? Well, because I, I'm not sure if he went to heaven. I said, sis, he was a believer. Yeah, but brother, you know, he was smoking at the end of his life. <laughs> and he was drinking once in a while. I had to sit down in my bed and I said, let's talk about this, okay? I said, first of all, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that smoking sends you to hell? She said, I really do. I said, sis, it's not true. It's not true. It will get you to heaven a whole lot quicker, but it won't send you to hell. I'm just being honest with you. It will. And so I had to explain what justification means. Listen, church, when you get this message of justification and righteousness really solidified in your heart, you're going to go out and win the world. And you're going to win them as converts who know this message and believe it and propagate it. I said, it's not true. Here's what I told somebody one time. In fact, that same woman, I said, listen, your crud is not greater than his blood. Someone once said, you can tell how big a problem is by what it takes to fix it. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Amen. And as I think about this, I think about the darling of heaven. We just sang about him a couple of songs ago. The darling of heaven crucified and laid behind a stone. He lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. You know what he did? He took the fall and thought of me above all. So the fact that Jesus, and we can't argue with this, that Jesus got up off of a throne in heaven and came to earth, took on flesh, and was crucified before the whole world, tells me sin used to be my problem. It was a big problem. But it is no longer my issue. Jesus has done away with my sin. I'm no longer guilty. I'm no longer shameful. I'm no longer condemned. Because Jesus has paid that price once and for all. Amen. Not anymore, thanks to Jesus. Not anymore, thanks to grace. I have been justified by faith. The kaio et pistis. My wife said to me, why do you have to do that? Why don't you just say justified by faith? Because she said, what are you preaching about? I said, the kaio et pistis. She said, why do you have to do that? I said, I'm not trying to show off my Greek skills, because I really don't have that. I learn as I go, okay? I'm not trying to get to do that, but what I'm trying to get you to see, there are things below the Scripture that you do not see in the English. The divine exchange, His blood for my crud, you know what that's called? It's called righteousness. <laughs> righteousness. So what He did is He took everything I had that was wrong and broken, and He fixed it by saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my righteousness upon you, and I'm going to infuse it to you so that it can't be separated. We're one with Christ. The Bible says we are joined to Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, and we are one spirit with Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, that literally means declared righteous by faith alone. Nothing else justifies you. It's faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Our English vernacular does not showcase this scripture in the light that it should, believe me. And it doesn't leave most readers, when you read that Romans chapter 5 verse 1, most readers don't go, aha, I got it. It's only through a deeper study of this buzzword justification that it will come to life. This verse pulls back that veil that you were talking about, Steve. It pulls back that veil and it exposes the everlasting covenant of a covenant-keeping God and a covenant-keeping Jesus. Over my 20 years as a Christian, 
I have uh, been engaged in conversations, I'm telling you, with believers, unbelievers, agnostics, atheists, people that don't like God, people that know God, people that have been saved for a long time, brand new believers. I engage people everywhere I go. <laughs> I want to see what's in you. Because if he's not in there, I want to get him in there, number one. And number two, if he's in there and you, and you don't know anything, I want to make sure you learn something. Amen? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to make you hungry so that you just don't come and get fed and go, oh, that was really good. Now let's come back again next Sunday. No, we want to get you to go home and we want you to, uh, to meditate on the Word of God. Think about the Word of God. Study the Word of God. In fact, here's what the Apostle Paul said in, to Timothy when he was writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Here's what he said. He said, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He starts this by saying, Timothy, study. The word study literally means be diligent. It's not casual. I got to get my three verses in this morning. That's, that's casual reading. Okay. I mean, that might get you through a little bit, but when you start studying the Word of God and suddenly justification comes alive and righteousness blooms in your heart, you'll find that you can't get pushed around. I love it. I'm the freest I've ever been in my 20 years. And you know what? We've had this church for 18 months now. And even in these 18 months, I have grown immeasurably just simply because I'm forced to go to the Word so that the sheep have something to chew on. But he says, study. Be diligent, Timothy. Be diligent. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, wait, wait, wait a second now. You said, Mark, you said approved. I got to prove something? It says, ah, approved. And I found this to be really super interesting as I was looking at that word last night. Kind of a funny Greek word. It's the word dokimos. Dokimos. In the ancient world, they didn't have banks. And they didn't have paper currency. They had coins. So what they would do is they would get metal and they would put extreme heat to it and melt it down into a liquid and then they would pour it into molds and they would form these coins. And then when the coins cooled, they would bring them up out of the mold and they would trim away all the excess stuff that was hanging off the edges. Well, there were some money changers. Now, we typically think of money changers as wicked, vile men. They're not, they weren't all like that. These guys were men of integrity. These guys wanted to do what's right. And see, back then, it wasn't like our currency today. 25 cents is 25 cents. It was all about weights. Everything was weighed. So you didn't want to trim away a coin because it weighed more before you trimmed it. And so they were all about getting currency into the market that was good currency. It wasn't counterfeit money. These men, again, they were called dokimos, and it's used by Paul to Timothy in that word when he says, study to show thyself approved. And what is he saying as I was looking at that? How is the Christian supposed to be seen by this world? He's supposed to be seen just exactly like Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. Everywhere you go, not just church. Everywhere you go, you're supposed to look like Jesus, full of grace and truth. We are dokimas. We are not supposed to trim back the gospel of grace. We're not supposed to trim back and cut off the edges of this so that it just makes it fit and pleases everybody. Friends, I want to tell you something. The gospel, as beautiful as it can be, can become somewhat offensive to some people because they're so full of religion. They've got this religion mentality, a little dab will do you mentality. No, no, no. It's grace upon grace according to the Word of God. Why are we not seen like dokimos? Because our message is not consistent across the churches and across the denominations. 
and it often lacks the true gospel, which is the message of God's unconditional love and His great grace. That's what His message is about. Why is our message not consistent? Because believers, and now listen to me very carefully, even pastors, have not rightly divided the covenants. You know what? It's like going to a dentist. You can talk to him all you want to on the phone. You can talk to him all the time you're there thinking you know what your problem is. What's he ultimately going to say to you? Open your mouth. I'll tell you what's wrong with you. (laughs) And so if we just listen, uh, we can hear, okay, I understand. Okay, I'm not being critical about that because I was there at one time too. I was there with a mixture under this mixture message, a mixture covenant. I thought my performance really had a lot to do. I don't really ever think back and think, well, you know what? This is the motivation. This is the reason I'm doing it, is I want to earn brownie points with God. I never really felt like that. It was always my love for God. But deep down inside my heart, I felt there was this performance attached to it somewhat. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying, study to show thyself approved unto God. And then he says, rightly dividing the word of truth. What is truth? Now listen, I'm going to take you on a little journey here real quick through some scriptures. What is truth? Let's talk about, first of all, about the law. I'm going to talk about the law. And when I talk about the law, what I'm talking about is Mosaic law. Moses' law, the Ten Commandments, and all the commandments that came out of that. What is law? David, who wrote the Psalms, most of the Psalms anyway, said in Psalm 119, verse 142, now listen what he says about the law. And watch how he ties it with righteousness. He says, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. And he says, and your law is truth. What law is he talking about? He's talking about the Ten Commandments. So David is saying, see, David was under the Old Covenant. That's all he knew. David loved God. God loved David. And he says, your law is truth and it's tied to my righteousness. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So, the law is truth, and the law is holy. I never deny that. I never say that the the law of Moses wasn't true. No, it's true, and it's still true today. I never said it wasn't holy. It's holy. Believe me, it's holy. God wrote it. It's holy, right? It's holy. Psalm 19, verse 7, David says this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So what has been happening here so far? He says the law is truth. He says the law is holy. And he says the law is perfect. The law sounds really good right about now, doesn't it? And I thought about this last night. I thought, well, usually something perfect doesn't need replacing, right? I mean, if it's perfect, it doesn't need replacing. But I want you to think about something, especially moms in here. If you've got a little pair of tennis shoes that you bought for your kid, but you didn't put them on him and he outgrew them before he could even get them on him, they're brand new. They're perfect shoes, but they don't fit. Do you see what my point is? They don't fit. The law is perfect, but it doesn't fit the believer. Let's see what happens. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. So, the law was. See, the Bible kept saying the law is, the law is, the law is. Now it says the law was. The law was our schoolmaster until Christ. Amen. Help me preach it, Sandy. The law was our schoolmaster until Christ came. And then it says that we may be justified by faith. The kaio ek pistis. So the law was our schoolmaster. It was the very thing that was to drive us to the cross. I said this before, I want you to get this picture. It's like a chauffeur. His name is Mr. Law. You jump in his car, he drives you to the cross. Maybe it's at a time in your life when you're really having a hard time. He brings you to the cross. 
He doesn't even stay and watch what happens. He goes back to get another one. He can't help you. He's brought you to where you need to be, the cross. There's Christ. That's his job. He's a schoolmaster, the Bible says, to bring us until Christ. Grace. Now let's talk about grace, because grace is truth too. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the Apostle Paul's having this dialogue with God. And he says, but he said unto me, you see, Paul's talking about this thorn in my flesh. And the thorn is not a sickness, it is a messenger of Satan. The Bible says very clearly there, that is his thorn. The thorn is the messenger of Satan. It's not the bad eyes, and it's not a thorn in his, in his leg. It's a messenger of Satan. And so he's been having this exchange with God. And then he says, but he said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient. He didn't say it's law plus grace. He didn't say it's works plus grace. He didn't say it's performance plus grace. He said, my grace is sufficient. That's all you need. Jesus is the one that makes us perfect, friends. Jesus is the one that made me perfect. I can't take any credit for it. Listen, it wasn't even my idea. He came calling at a time when I least expected it. It was on the right side of midnight. I laid down to go to bed, minding my own business, and all of a sudden, hello. <laughs> I'm like, who's the? Oh, it's Jesus. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that made you perfect. He's the one that makes me perfect. He's the one that makes any and everybody perfect. He said, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I was at a very weak time. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. How do we get this sufficient grace? You want sufficient grace? How do we get this sufficient grace? You've already got it, by the way. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> it's grace and truth. And so, we know that Jesus has it. It just clearly says, He just came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Skip ahead two verses, John chapter 1, verse 16. Out of His fullness, whose fullness? Jesus' fullness. Out of His fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace is not a one-time event, friends. There's an abundant supply. There's a never-ending supply of grace. Grace is a person. It's not just some sort of substance. It is a person, and His name is Jesus Christ. So law is truth. Grace is truth. Let's make the comparison and the differences between them. In John chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given, but grace came. The law was given, but grace came to me. People have two choices, basically. They can embrace a cold, rigid rock, or they can embrace a warm, gentle rock in all capitals. <laughs> Savior, Jesus. That's the two choices we have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. I want you to get that in your heart this morning, that you're not even the same creature anymore. You may look the same in the mirror, you may dress the same, but there's something that has changed inside of your spirit. The Bible says clearly, you're a new creature. <laughs> creature? You're a new creation. And then he says, old things are passed away. You say, oh man, that, I know what those old things are, that's my old habits. <laughs> Just think back to when you got saved one time. All those old habits didn't go away when you said, thank you Jesus, come into my heart, did they? All the old habits didn't go away. 
All my old mentalities and old thinkings didn't go away. They eventually got changed because I kept going to the Word and the Word kept renewing my mind. Isn't that what happened in your lives as well? It happens. It's a great thing. So what's he talking about? Old things have passed away. First of all, and first and foremost, he's talking about your old man, your old nature. That died with Christ. He has passed away. But also, because he says things, we're talking plural now, so it's more than just one thing. And it's the old covenant ability to rule your life. The old covenant's ability to rule your life. That passed away as well. So why hold on to it? Why not get free? Why not walk away from it? And I see people getting free as they sit under the message of grace. So what is justification? Dekaio, justification. Listen to me carefully because this is the message I want to take for you to take and propagate everywhere you go. Justification is a legal term. You hear it in the courtrooms. Justified, justified, justification, justifying, all the same thing. So here's the deal. God could not forgive man just simply because God is gracious and God is loving and God is kind. These are all attributes of God. He could not forgive man just simply because of those attributes because God is also a God that's just. He's a just God. Sometimes we almost want to do that. We see situations where we're like, ah, I don't want to see that. I told you this before, I'll say it again. When I worked in retail and I would see people shoplift, and I'm like, oh, I didn't want to see you do that. I like you. You come in here all the time, and now i got to wrestle you to the ground because you just stole something. <laughs> There's times you just want to say, I really didn't see that, but you want to be a good steward on the job, right? Well, God is a better steward than us, right? So God just couldn't go, oh, Mark, oh, Steve, I didn't see that. No, sin had to be punished. Are you with me? Yeah. It had to be punished. He's a just God. So let's take you back to that courtroom setting for just a moment. God, in all of his majesty and regal, is seated on a throne. I mean, can you imagine the brilliance of that courtroom? His eyes are just beaming right through you. All of humanity is on trial. Everybody that ever lived, every man, woman, boy, girl, is all in that courtroom at one time because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Satan is there as the accuser of the brethren, and he is there, listen, to point out all your flaws and all your faults and just tell you everything that's wrong with you. The Holy Spirit is there. He's the bailiff. He's the one who ultimately gets the word from God. Do I haul this one away? Do I haul this one away? Do I bring this one to heaven? Friends, Jesus is there. Jesus is there, and he is our defense attorney. Amen. I mean, you've got to see that. This is in the word. He's there because he loves us. But justice has to run its course in the courtroom. And all the evidence has been laid out there. Man has definitely been caught red-handed. It's interesting that Adam's uh, name literally means red earth. He's been caught red-handed. All the evidence has been looked at. And I just saw this picture last night of God picking up that golden gavel and that right hand of power swinging down to declare guilt and a sentence of eternal separation and damnation forever and ever and ever. Can you get that picture in your heart? Can you see that? Oh, I can see that so vivid. And as the gavel is falling, Jesus stands up and he says, Father, Father, forgive them. The same thing he said from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. And so it stays the hand from hitting down. And finally, Jesus says, Father, punish me. Not them. Daddy, punish me. This is what happened. 
This is what happened. He said, Daddy, punish me. I'll tell you what, Daddy, I'll go to a cross. I'll go to the cross. This is so awesome when you think that the Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth. In other words, what they're saying there is God already knew what it would cost him before he made man, and yet he still did it. That's an amazing thought. We know our children are going to grow up and bring heartache to us at times, don't we? Okay, hopefully not too much, yet we still have children. God knew what it would cost him. It would cost him his beloved son. Amen. He said, Daddy punished me. And you know what Daddy did? Daddy accepted his son's sacrifice. Daddy accepted his son's payment, and he justified us once for all. So Jesus, when he got to the end of his ministry, he was talking with his disciples. He's already had the meal at Lazarus, Martha, and Mary's house. He's already eaten there. You see that in John chapter 12 in the first few scriptures. And then he's on his road to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's about to be crucified. His ministry is winding down. So he looks at his disciples one day and he says this. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He says this, except a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Friends, let me show you something here. The grain of wheat is Christ. And literally he was saying, listen, unless I fall into the ground, ground is man. It's what we were made from, Genesis. And God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He said, listen, except I fall into the heart of man and die, and man dies with me, he said, I'll be alone, and you will be alone. I don't want that to happen. I love you. I made you so I could show you how much I love you and how much my daddy loves you. He loves me. Oh, I want to tell the whole world he loves me. He loves you. I just get passionate about when I think about the goodness of my Lord Jesus. Hey, man, I feel like a running right now, man. I feel like a running man. So he says, if it dies, he says, that kernel of wheat, it bears much fruit. Let me tell you something. This is not a new revelation to you, but his death was my death. His death was your death. His burial was your burial. It was my burial. His resurrection was my resurrection. And his life is my life. And it's a life of grace. And it's a life of truth. I just feel like clapping. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I wasn't trying to get you to do that. I just feel like I'm already clapping in my heart. I'm just like, yeah, I'm clapping. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. So he says, if that grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. What kind of fruit is he talking about? Let's go on a fruit hunt here, okay? Philippians chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, these words. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. I want you to know something. God sees you as sincere and blameless. Let me tell you what these words mean. They're powerful. The word sincere literally means pure or flawless. We sang it in the very first song this morning. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is the cross. The cross has made me flawless. The cross has made me flawless. I didn't do this. The cross did it. The cross has made me flawless. No matter the hurts or how deep the wound is, no matter the pain, still the truth is the cross. The cross has made me flawless. No matter what they say or what you think you are, oh man, no matter what people say, no matter what you think, the cross is what's made you flawless. And the cross is always a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the cross. So he says, I see you as sincere. And he says, I see you as blameless. 
I love this word. I love this word, blameless. Because when you look it up, it literally translates as faultless. Not only are we flawless, but we are faultless before God. That means on the inside, all my faults, taken care of. On the outside, all my flaws, taken care of. I'm pure and blameless through in and throughout. The cross has made me. He says here that you have been made blameless, which means faultless. We sang the song in church here before called Cornerstone. And I love the third verse when it says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, then in him may I be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. Christ alone, Cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. He sees you as faultless. Let me tell you something about this word faultless. It's beautiful. The word faultless there literally means, it, when you look it up in the Greek concordance, it says passively faultless. I'm like, passively faultless? Yeah, that means you didn't have anything to do with it. See, passive people just sit there and they don't get involved. I mean, they could just see an injustice going on, they wouldn't even get involved. Passive, we are passively faultless. That means I did nothing to make myself blameless. It was all Jesus. And here's the great news about it. I don't do anything to keep myself faultless. Now, it goes well for you if you don't sin out of your eyeballs. I'm just telling you, it goes well for you. We're talking about the spirit man. We're talking about the true nature of God living on the inside of our spirit. The cross has made me flawless and faultless. Now, verse 11, we're looking for what kind of fruit is he talking about that uh, is going to come if the uh, grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. Verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. I'm in the Word. It's the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Justification is the legal process. Hear me very carefully now. That declares a man innocent and releases the gift of righteousness. Here's what justification does. When you look up the word justification, you know what it does? It's got one word. It says righteousness. And you come over here and you look up righteousness. It says justification. I love this. Justification points to righteousness. Righteousness points to justification. It's amazing. It's the heartbeat of Jesus and God. God was always exalting His Son. Jesus was always exalting His Father. Jesus wouldn't say, look at me. Jesus was saying, look at my Father. And the Father wouldn't say, look at me. He was saying, look at my Son. That's what justification and righteousness do with one another. Here's the deal. Justification is incomplete without righteousness. What has it done for you unless you receive the righteousness? And righteousness is impossible without justification. You can't be righteous in God's eye without Him first justifying you, without Jesus paying this price, and without you accepting the Savior of the world. Justification and righteousness go together. Amen. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Did you know Jesus referred to himself as the first and the last? <laughs> he did. In Revelation there when he said I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. He said I'm the first and the last. So in this scripture right here it says a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Literally it's saying a righteousness that starts with Jesus and when you get to the end of your life it still ends with Jesus. Jesus. It's from first to last. It's a righteousness that's from Jesus to Jesus. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Romans 5.17 
For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, I'm glad we get like a new mind when we go to heaven and a new body. Otherwise, Adam would need the witness protection program in heaven. I'm not kidding you. For if by one man, the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ? Friends, we have been justified by faith. Dekaio ek pistis. Now, the context of this word therefore, because Romans chapter 5 verse 1 begins with this word therefore. And so when you read Romans chapter 5, in particular in verse 1, you read that beautiful scripture, therefore I've been justified by faith, I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what you see and what you don't see in that verse. The first thing you see is you see how you're justified by faith. No question about it. You see who did the justifying? It's Jesus right there in verse 1. You see the result of your justification peace with God. But what it doesn't show me is what happened. What actually happened here that allowed me to be justified? I don't see it in verse 1. And why did it happen? Why was I justified? What happened and why? Let's back up three verses. See, this is what I want to encourage you to do when you study. Study in context. Study in context. When you look at scriptures like, women be silent in the church. Come on, please. That doesn't mean women can't be pastors today and teachers. Otherwise, Joyce Meyer is in really big trouble, right? Gloria Copeland's in a lot of trouble. Why are women supposed to be silent in church? Well, if you understand, back in those days, the women and the children sat on one side of the church, and the men over on the other side of the church. This is the way it happened in the synagogue. The rabbis taught the men. They just absolutely ignored the women and the children. And so as they're teaching the men, the women are starting to get excited over here. They're like, hey, 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 I got something to say. And this is where that scripture came from. It's like, women, be silent in church. You're not here to learn. We're here to teach your husband. He can go home and teach your family. So we've been taking things out of context all these years. So I see how it happened in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I see it who it happened through, and I see the result of justification. I have peace with God. But what happened? Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. The words it was credited to him, now that we're talking about Abraham, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Here comes the what happened. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. That's what happened. He was delivered over to death for our sins, raised to life for our justification. Now when we step into the very next verse, therefore, for that reason right there, I can always point back when Satan comes and tries to play with my mind and say, uh-uh, wait a minute now. He was delivered over to death for my sins. He was raised to life for my justification. Therefore, since I have been justified, have been, past it, therefore, since I have been justified, I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's the what. The why is found seven verses later, Romans chapter, we're in context, looking before, looking after. Seven verses later, the why. Why would Jesus do something so extravagant? Why would he go to the cross? Friends, this is not lethal injection. Lethal injection is a little poke and it's over with, really, come on. You just go to sleep. This is not lethal injection. This is brutality. Why would he do that? And the crucifixion wasn't even the extent of it. Having all the sin of the whole world laid on you at one time. I mean, we fall apart like a $2 suitcase when we have a little problem in our life. Jesus had all your problems on his life at one time. Mm -mm. So the why? Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's your why. Because God loves you. That's why Jesus did it. Because God wanted to demonstrate his love. He wanted to demonstrate his love for us. And that was the only thing he could do to do that. Amen? Justification was always about his love for us. 
It's the only way God could make a man righteous. There had to be payment, and Jesus, the very spotless Lamb of God, was that payment. Amen. My conclusion, only through a deeper study of the book of Romans, and in particular Romans chapter 5 verse 1, will you see the life and the justification and the righteousness, the true revelation of justification, which is righteousness by faith. I want to tell you something, when you get that working in your heart, it will change everything about you, your heart, your ministry, your wife, your life, your children. It begins to change everything. It changes your habits. It changes the way you think. Romans 5.1 is our guarantee of eternal salvation. We have been joined to Christ through this infusion of righteousness. We have become one with Him. I love this, what I told my class in here at Bible College yesterday as I was using a tube of epoxy as an object lesson. One thing about epoxy is that once it cures, it cannot be uncured. So it is with righteousness. Once cured, you cannot receive that. You cannot be uncured. In other words, there's nothing can happen to you to take you back to its original state. Nothing. You are eternally secure with Jesus, and the Scriptures bear it out by talking about what justification is. He's faithful to His covenant. My challenge is to get in the habit. Get in the habit. I've done this now for the last two or three weeks. Every time I look in the mirror, I say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And nothing can change that. I am believing that with all my heart. Nothing can change that, friends. I have been justified by faith. As a result, I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Dekaio ek pistis. Father, I want to thank you for your grace today. I want to thank you that I've got it. I've got it. I've not only got your grace, I've got the revelation of your grace and your goodness. And Daddy, there's nothing to go back to. There's nothing to go back to. Nothing to return to. Daddy, I want to thank you that my performance never determines my position. Never. Never again. Father, thank you. Because of this awesome truth, condemnation is not my portion. I will never allow the enemy to ever condemn me again because I see your love in your word. I see your love in your word. And Father, I've seen throughout the scriptures that you are faithful to your covenant. Whatever the covenant may be, and there's been many, we are under the grace covenant and you are, have always, always been faithful to your covenant. You cannot break your covenant. And I want to thank you that the covenant of grace is really the covenant between you and your son, Jesus. And I happen to come along because I'm inside Jesus. And so, Father, thank you. The covenant is not even up to me to break. And Jesus will never break it. He's a covenant-keeping Savior. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I speak great grace, such grace over your people. Let them feel your love. Let them sense your love. Father, never again will they walk under this spirit of condemnation, this spirit of heaviness. 
Father, you have redeemed them by making Jesus a curse on a tree. And he took on all of our curses and all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases, all of our sins, and all of our deaths. So Father, in Jesus' name, I bless you and thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.